Good morning and welcome to The Daily Oz. Today is Tuesday the 17th of August. I'm Zara Seidler and I'm joined by Sam Kozlowski. Before we start off, there is not a lot of good news out there today. We're not going to sugarcoat it. So if you do need to chat to someone or log off, please do so. There's always someone available to talk to and the news will be here when you get back. We put up some resources on our Instagram a few days ago. Please be kind to yourself. Today in the news, we're going to look at the latest in COVID-19 around Australia and then take you to what is going on in Afghanistan, where the capital Kabul has fallen to Taliban forces. But we really wanted to slow down and explain some of the historical context that's at play here. So straight to New South Wales, yesterday was the worst day of the pandemic for the state, with New South Wales recording 478 locally acquired cases. We know that at least 61 of those cases were infectious in the community, but many hundred remain under investigation. Tragically, there were also eight deaths reported. And here's what the Premier said about the rise in cases yesterday. Our community transmission numbers are disturbingly high. We had 478 cases of community transmission to 8pm last night. And we can't stress enough how hard all of us have to work to reduce these numbers, to reduce the growth of the spread and to make sure we're all staying home unless we absolutely have to do otherwise. Meanwhile, unfortunately, not much better news for Victoria, though they did have lower case numbers, 22 yesterday, with 17 of those linked to a known cluster. The lockdown for Melbourne was extended by a further two weeks as a result, with tighter restrictions, including a curfew, restrictions on playgrounds and exercise in place during this time. So now the new date for the Melbourne lockdown to end is 11.59 on Thursday, September 2nd, which coincidentally, Sam, is the same day as the ACT's lockdown is meant to lift. That comes after ACT Chief Minister Andrew Barr announced a two-week extension. So it's nice that there's at least some syncing up in the lockdowns there because the Chief Ministers and Premiers don't really manage to schedule their press conferences at the right times. However, the Chief Minister said he wasn't surprised that there was a spike in cases. And it demonstrates that the virus is active in our community. We have been expecting this, though, and we will continue to see more cases in the coming days. Meanwhile, in the top end, the Northern Territory recorded one new case of COVID-19 yesterday, with Darwin and the Catherine region entering a three-day lockdown at midday yesterday. Just to recap there, we've now got lockdowns in Melbourne, the ACT, the whole of New South Wales and parts of the Northern Territory. Yesterday, all anyone was talking about was Afghanistan, and we'll go into a bit later why that is. But yesterday, Kabul, which is the capital of Afghanistan, fell to Taliban forces, and they now control most of the country. The invasion of the capital did signal the collapse of Afghanistan's Western-backed government, and the President Ashraf Ghani has actually already fled the country. That was yesterday morning. Taliban fighters have seized the presidential palace and many fear that the Taliban will return to a strict implementation of Sharia law. Before we go deeper into that story, let's find a little bit of good news in the news today. People over the age of 16 in Western Australia can now get the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. The expanded eligibility criteria means more than 2 million Western Australians aged over 16 years can be vaccinated in WA health clinics. They now join South Australia as the only two states where you can get Pfizer from that age. There's kind of two timelines to think about when discussing the conflict in Afghanistan. 
what has happened in the last couple of days and what has happened over the last two decades. And each timeline is equally important to understand. But without understanding one, you can't really understand the other. So what we thought would be helpful today, we know that you've read stuff online about what's happening there. We thought it would be helpful to quickly run through both these timelines so you can get a sense of where these events fit in the big scheme of things. So let's go to the background first. The war in Afghanistan started over 20 years ago. So following 9-11, the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center in New York City, the US accused the Taliban of providing refuge to Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. This is actually a really important point that gets overlooked. The Taliban and al-Qaeda are not the same body. So by December of that year, three months after the attacks, the US had removed the Taliban from power in Afghanistan. They then spent the next 20 years replacing the government with a Western-run, democratically elected government in Afghanistan. And the US and their allies, including, of course, Australia, it was their job to arm security forces in Afghanistan with the tools that they needed to self-govern. The aim was never for the US to stay there forever. And it's this whole idea of nation building. If you go to university and study anything remotely to do with politics, you always learn about nation building. And Afghanistan and Iraq are always used as the examples here of what US-led nation building looks like. Here, it has gone drastically, drastically wrong. And this is where different versions of a successful mission in Afghanistan come into play. Here's what U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said about the U.S.'s success in the Middle East. We went to Afghanistan 20 years ago uh, with one mission in mind, and that was to deal with the people who attacked us on 9-11. And that mission has been successful. It was on the back of this sentiment that the U.S. decided to fully withdraw troops from Afghanistan by the AIMS date of September 11th, 2021. Of course, it's the 20th anniversary of the hijackings at the World Trade Center. But actually, in reality, U.S. President Biden withdrew most U.S. troops before that. The process started in about May. He said he wanted to end the U.S. investment in the Middle East as quick as possible. And it's with this withdrawal that we have seen a vacuum. And that power vacuum has been very, very quickly filled by the Taliban. So the U.S. and its allies' hopes of building capacity among the Afghan community to to maintain governance and military prowess once US troops withdrew has not come to fruition at all. Instead, we're looking at images like we posted on Instagram yesterday of people flocking to the airport trying to get out of the country desperately before the Taliban take complete ownership over the country. And just to join a few dots here for everyone, the fear on the ground in Afghanistan is that the Taliban's rule will be brutal and that there is a genuine fear of life. So you're going to be hearing a lot in the coming weeks and months about the refugee crisis that will result from this invasion by the Taliban. One of the really complicated dynamics at play here is that a lot of Afghans who helped US, Australian, Canadian, British troops on the ground in the last two decades were promised a safe passage to another country in times of need. So there's actually an obligation now on US special forces, Australian special forces to withdraw Afghans on the ground who have helped them, whether they be translators, cooks or local staff. And that's exactly right. That's clearly where our government's focus is lying currently. Scott Morrison has said that his government is doing everything that they can, including sending troops over, to safely rescue all those people who had helped Australian troops while they had been in Afghanistan. And some fear that this rescue mission is happening too late. 
To give you a sense of the chaos on the ground at the moment, the Australian government is reportedly trying to negotiate a landing spot at Kabul airport in order to land the RAAF aircraft that will hopefully rescue hundreds of Australian citizens, their family members and Afghan allies on the ground. And while the Australian government's efforts are focused on those people who have helped Australian troops, there is an entire country waking up to a new reality today and that is especially poignant for the women and children of Afghanistan who are looking at a very different reality where their rights are not insured. The Guardian is doing an incredible series on this at the moment. I would really recommend finding it and reading it. There are Afghan women writing every day about what their experiences of being erased from the Afghan narrative looks like. It's an extremely powerful way to understand what's happening on the ground there. I would really recommend it. We'll keep you up to speed with how the rescue mission goes and the general events that are happening across the entire country. It's a really important story to keep on top of. That's all for today, though. Look after yourselves. We'll have all the COVID data throughout the day over on our Instagram, and we'll speak to you tomorrow.